This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. And the green flag flies as it's a drag race. North along the straightaway will power with the advantage toward turn number one. First ever wet race with this arrow screen. The big mover, Joseph Newgarden, looks inside his teammate, Will Power. He will think better of it. Davey Hamilton, we have seen cars and drivers come onto pit road. This track is drying, and they want those fire still it, reds. It's drying really, really fast, actually. There's only a few wet spots, and it seems to be down the straightaway. It's Colton Hurd, the first one. As we watch him, he's, hand, he's sliding around. He's not having fun right now, but as this track dries out, he's going to love those slicks. Guys continue to go to those reds. That tells you how quickly this track is drying, especially with no rain and cars running at speed. Well, here, here's the winner of that. Colton Hurdle was in 14th position the lap before when he decided to come up for the slicks. He comes out in second place after everybody's spitting. He has no idea what this car is going to be like on the slick tires through here, so Colton's going to catch him quite a bit right now. Remember how tough it was for Colton Hurdle through this section. He almost threw it off the road. There's Pato Award. Look out! Big nice sideways. Nice save from Colton Herta. That was huge. I was oh, trying, I, I, he was on the lock stops there, wide for Pozzo Award, and Colton Herta is going to go through. That was a phenomenal save. That was a crash that didn't happen by the Gainbridge Honda driver, who started 14th and is now out in front. Green flag flies, and the front two are nose to tail, but Colton Herta goes to the inside. Yeah, Pottle Award may be a sitting duck. Indeed, he is. Colton Herta on those wet tires will dive below Pottle Award. Let's see if Pottle can negotiate turn number one. Indeed, he does. Simon Pagino in that third position, but man, Pottle Award is really wiggling. Nearly spun at the exit of turn number two as the field is all bunched up at the exit of turn number three now, but Colton Herta in the Capricorn seat. Well, who knows uh, what or where the future holds for this talented young driver. But the here and now is the fact that he is the winner. He sees the twin checkers and Colton Herta wins the 2022 GMR Grand Prix. Welcome to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. What do you make of what we saw on Saturday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Thanks for joining us tonight at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan on Twitter for your questions and comments. Sam Rumsa is in our Indianapolis studios at the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. Beyond the Bricks with Jake and Mike is coming up at 8 o'clock tonight. So, Kurt, I watched um, well, I watched four races yesterday. I watched the last two IMSA Michelin pilot races to try to catch up for my next assignment. Watched live the WeatherTech race. Started the IndyCar race, got sidetracked, because normally I will re-watch an IndyCar race and kind of read and catch up, and it's just to kind of listen. But I found I needed to watch this one with full attention, and I had other stuff I had to do. So I stopped, finished today, and the problem with that was I'd see someone spin today and think... Well, did I see them spin already live or is that their second or third or fourth spin? And it was tough to keep track. Where do you want to start trying to unpack what we saw? I think I would start by saying, and I did this exercise a few months ago about trying to get a handle on how many races I've attended NASCAR IndyCar races, drag races. It was like something ridiculous, like 700, 800 races. I mean, I've been, I've seen so many and I can't remember very many, certainly, but if, mm. if I have seen one that was more 
goofy than this one. And I say that from the standpoint of I felt like I was along for the ride. Like normally I can sit and, you know, I can make notes and I can say, well, this driver is in a good position because he pitted with this at this point and he's got new tires and this driver doesn't. And I think this strategy is the best one. And this one is disadvantageous. I couldn't figure this one. The only thing I got right, uh, two things happened, I guess I got right. First of all, I said from the get-go that Colton Herta would was among those couple three drivers that I thought should pit right away. I mean, run your run your requirement on the tires and then switch. You know, get get to those reds as quickly as you could. And he was the first to do that on lap three. That vaulted him to the front when everyone came on lap four, roughly. And I thought that was that was one of the few things I got right. The other thing that I thought was really smart was a few of those drivers later in the race were in the back, and it was starting to rain. And if you had the weather map up like I did, and I'm sure all the teams did, I mean, this cell was just barreling down on turn four. And I thought, it's not going to be more than 60 seconds to two minutes, maybe three. And it's just going to be atrocious out there. And I said, if you're in the back, you should pit. And I said, like Rossi, he should pit. And he did. Mm -hmm. And I was like, brilliant. I was all for it. In fact, it was one of the few times I really felt like a strategist. I was like, that's perfect. He should pit. And he did. And he came out and he was going to be the leader. And then it, then the rain, it like, it must've got to union jacks and hung a right and went to your house because it literally diverted and went the other direction. And so like, I don't know how that happened. And then it didn't essentially, I mean, it was still raining, uh, my daughter and her husband were sitting in turn four. It was raining, but uh, I say turn four of the oval, turn one of the road course. And it was raining there, but, you know, the racetrack facility is so big and the course is so big that, you know, the backstretch of, of the road course was dry and just chewing up those tires. And, you know, Rossi, who I had championed to make that decision, was fading along with a couple other guys. And I thought, well, so much for, for figuring this strategy out. So it was just one of those weird races. I thought uh, uh, it was good that two things happened. I think everybody kind of pitted together a little bit later on, uh, and that kind of recycled everybody. And I thought the right driver won. You know, we don't always say that. We certainly don't say it in road course races with rain, but the right guy won. I mean, Colton, maybe he didn't qualify the best, but that decision on lap three to get him to the front was was smart. And I thought that team deserved to win, and, and he really controlled the rest of the race. So all in all, I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was interesting from a – if you know from a strategy standpoint uh my friend mark lynch he 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 pointed out one time during the race he said marcus erickson he's nine laps to the good he he's gonna cycle to the front of course he didn't (laughs) he he eventually got up there and uh there was another couple moments where where it looked like uh drivers should be in good position but just a strange race but one that was really it really tested the the following along and i don't know i felt bad for the people sitting in the grandstands without the television to be able to help them and have the analyst kind of talk people through 
the strategies in play and, and, and why things were going the way they were and who should pit win and yada, yada, yada. So I thought, uh, I thought I felt, I mean, I felt bad for the people in the grandstands because I thought that was a challenging thing to overcome, but by all accounts, they had a great time. I talked to several people who sat, uh, through all the rain and the wind that came up and they sure enjoyed it. We had a lot of guests who many were not race fans or at least not hardcore race fans through the IU Simon Cancer Center and some of other other Jackson partners, and they loved it. I, I kind of thought a lot of them would go home early afternoon. Jackson was done by whatever, 12, 12, 15, something like that. But they stayed until 6 o'clock, and they had a fantastic time. Chaos is good. You know, it's kind of like the Nashville race last year, and this was a different kind of chaos. The Nashville race race was a lot of different things going on but this wasn't the driver's fault this was just the environment there's no way that this wasn't going to be chaotic in this situation and i don't think anybody was getting strategy wrong the rossi call was sound it it was going to rain we just didn't know exactly when it's impossible to predict in indiana you know i i know i have friends that swear by dark sky. Marty Snyder is one of them who, you know, will chastise us if we look at any other weather app. And he, he believes that he can tell us exactly what's going to happen. But Marty is using that app in places other than Indiana. And I try to remind him, your app doesn't do you no good here. It, <laughs> it helps. It helps, but it's not necessarily that much better than the others because it's a big guess here. And I, I remember Marty said, I looked at dark side this morning. He said this on Saturday morning. It ain't going to rain today. Eh, they can't predict these things around here. And Marcus Erickson to the VP of the Burger Bash, Mark Lynch's point, you know, that's why I went up and, and chatted with Andy O'Garrick as it got to that point where he was a good rain away from, he may not have won the race, but he was going to be for, uh, back on equal position. So he started in the back. Maybe was working his way forward, got hit, got his rear wing, had to be replaced. And then all of a sudden, by just staying out a little bit longer, he was in a position where he was going to have to do one less pit stop and might have stayed up there. But then he is hanging around for a little while in old tires and goes from like first to 12th in a few laps. And then he's back in the back. And then he's one of those that gets back to the front by, you know, it gets on the full wet for everybody. He's really good in the rain and raced his his way through there ultimately the way you started is right the right guy won that was a bold move and it made more sense from someone in the back especially someone that's going to need to make something happen to get back in the championship they were 11th in the championship coming in so that was solid strategy you know it's amazing the difference that one lap made one lap he pitted from 13th it's not like he picked up a lot of spots in the first lap. He pitted from 13th and came out second and then passed his way to the lead because he had the the, the hotter tires and could get by Pato Award and has no fear. Spin, whatever, I'm, gonna, I'm keeping my foot in it. Yeah, we talked about the, the different decisions that were made. Uh, so the rain tires, sound decision by Rossi. He, he, he chews them up when the track is dry. Other guys late in the race, uh, Grosjean, Pato, um, McLaughlin, they're on slicks. They think, 
well, that might be the way to go because we think we can nurse this. They couldn't even they couldn't even apply the power under caution. So, you know, it it didn't really matter you, which tire it was. It wasn't like everybody said, OK, we got to I got to go to slicks or I got to go to wets. Um, it just was the timing of those decisions, which is really remarkable. And speaking to the point about uh, your, you know, your people from IU Cancer, the IU Cancer Center that stayed and really enjoyed the race. The stats, this one stat that I thought was outstanding, and and it's part of the bigger story, was the number of passes by some of these individuals. Simon Pagino, on track passes for position, 28 of them. <laughs> Renus VK, 27. Callum Eilat, 26. And I stopped there, but there were about, I bet there were eight or 10 guys that had passed at least 15 cars for position. So, you know, you had, and it was part, what was the number? And I, I didn't write it down on this notebook, but it was something like 380 passes for position, which just just about doubled the race event record. 362. I knew it was something in that ballpark, but it was a remarkable figure. And when you have that, you know, sort of yo-yo effect, guys dropping to the back, coming to the front, vice versa, I mean, that's entertaining. And you had cars, like you said, chaos is the word. And I think everyone, I must have read 15 press releases and eight or 10 stories. And of those roughly 25 that I, I spoke of, I'd say 22 of them used the word chaos or chaotic. It was, it was the only word you could come up with. And so when you have cars spinning, when you have cars passing each other, when you have conditions that were, you know, suspect – it's really good television, and as I said, I would not have expected the people in the grandstands to have enjoyed it, A, because it was difficult to follow with, from a strategy standpoint, and two, the conditions outside were just miserable. I mean, it we must have dropped 20, 25 degrees in, a, in about 10 minutes, and the wind was ferocious, and, um, and the rain was, was – I don't know if the rain was as bad as, as maybe – you know, some sometimes we've been at the racetrack and it's raining sideways. It was raining. Uh, I talked to two or three people who said when we left the track, we were wet. To say we were soaked may have been a stretch, but we were we were pretty wet. Uh, so I think you mix the cold and the wind and the rain. I'm surprised people had any kind of fun at all, but it sure seems like they did. So I think maybe my people really enjoyed it because – they were in a suite. <laughs> so when you travel with the Jackson Lee racing team, you get a, get a suite. And by the way, the turn two suite. So I wasn't sure we ended up in turn two because that was all we could find. We couldn't find any availability in the, uh, the tower terrace. And I thought, well, that's not the best because I like the tower terrace. Cause you can see the run in the turn one. And that's where our group was last year. And this year they were in oval turn two. So that's what 10, 11, 12 in that range. They loved it, and they preferred that more to the Tower Terrace because you are 12 feet off the ground. You know, the cars are going right below you, and, and in this case, all the action and all kinds of spinning, which people like, happened right in front of them, and they had a video board. So that was really, really good. And as to the rain, it didn't rain hard. That's the perfect rain race. I stood outside, and... Part of the time I put my hood up, but most of the time I didn't. It was never, never that bad at all. It did get chilly. I actually put my jacket on from 90 degrees, put my jacket on even before it started raining because I was getting 
getting cold, but it was, hey, Bernie Ecclestone was right. Water cannons. We need water cannons twice a year. <laughs> how many yeah, drivers, was... when you look at a box score, how many drivers had a chance at a top five? You know, and you well, go back yeah, through. <laughs> it, it really depended on, you know, obviously timing and how long the distance of the race went. Uh, I, I, I hear your point. I'm not sure it was as large as maybe you would expect. I mean, I think when you ask me the question and I'm thinking through the answer, I'm thinking maybe it's half the field. But uh, for top five, that that might be the case. But, uh, you know, there were some drivers, um, Marcus Erickson comes to mind, that, that depending on how the strategy fell. And he really raced his way back up through there uh, in the wet uh, to get to fourth. Uh, Felix Rosenquist deserved a better fate. You know, he gets he gets uh, collected by his teammate, which, you know, Pato is just going for a pass on Colton Herta and, you know, makes a, makes a daring move and doesn't pull it off in turn one and gets turned around and, and Felix has got nowhere to go. So that, that really was unfortunate, but you look at guys, I guess I go down through the list, Rossi, if, if things would have gone differently, I don't know how Scott Dixon finished 10th. That, that might be the most remarkable 10th place finish of his career. I got a half a dozen that finished outside of the top 10 that were in position at one point had things gone their way to finish in the top five. I'll start at the back. Juan Pablo Montoya. Well, even before that, Joseph Newgarden started third. So he's in that category. He, you know, gets kind of hip checked by his teammate at one point and then gets in the middle of a sandwich in another. So that's one guy that was in position. Juan Pablo Montoya was fifth with six minutes to go in the race. And then he had slid back to seventh when he went off and crashed. Um, let's see. Scott, Scott McLaughlin was leading the race. Spun, different strategy, but he was leading the race late. And he finishes 20th. Pato Award led the race, finishes 19th. And actually went from the front to the back, to the front, and then to the back again. Alex Pillow started second. He's in that category. Roman Grosjean was trying to make a pass for fourth or for third on Jack Harvey. And some would say he got a little dose of his own medicine or maybe the Jack Harvey was uh, making some friends within the Ray Hall team by kind of backing up Graham. But, but Jack Harvey wasn't having anything to do with it. And that's the risk you take when you go around the outside, whether it's go-karts, race cars. I've seen it with a car or cart I've associated with many times. You go around the outside, if they don't want to let you go, they're shoving you in the grass. And that's what Jack Harvey did. And I think that's probably what Roman Grosjean would have done had he been on the inside in that situation. But that's another. Jack Harvey is another. He was running third. Penalty for contact that I never saw with Marcus Erickson. I don't know what it was on pit lane. Rossi was, he's maybe on the, the fringe of that. He was legit sixth or seventh. But as you mentioned, He's leading the race. We thought on the right strategy on rain tires and all but about two other people were going to have to pit. He was going to be home free. Didn't happen. So that's my list. And I think I, I probably named about eight there that finished outside yeah. the top 10. 
I don't know that I would give you New Garden. I mean, he didn't make it to lap 17 before he was run into. I mean, you, to me, if you're going to contend for the top five, you got to be a little deeper than that. He got hip checked, as you said. By the way, I thought okay. I, I did. Re, I did read his quotes, and uh, he he really uh, it was perfectly crafted. It was one of the great quotes, uh, blaming the driver but not blaming his teammate. So that that was good. It was good uh, creative work by Joseph. I'll see if I can find it during the break. It was well done. And uh, and and the other one that uh, comes to mind, Alex Pillow. I never felt like he was a factor in this race. You know, he gets off course early. Uh, I was trying to find what lap that was that he slid into the. He was out of it early. Yeah, it was early. And so so you know there he, it was lap six in turn seven or no it was probably turn. I get those eight, nine, it, it ten was lap right six. through there. I have it in my notes. No, I know it's it was, going on lap six. It was lap six. I just wasn't sure which corner it was. It, it gets to be, oh, okay. I think that's ten. I think that's turn ten. That, that little area around there, turn eight and nine are kind of, you know, quick little left rights. And so I get those turns mixed up a little bit. But but your point is well taken. What do we have? Uh, you know, seven or eight leaders, a bunch of guys that were, you know, that got a call, so to speak. Um, so it, it was really good. And uh, one thing, yeah, I missed that whole contact on pit lane. I don't know that television picked it up. And, and from my vantage point in the media center, uh, couldn't, couldn't tell what happened there. Uh, you know, there was, there was some other good things that, that happened as well. Tatiana Calderon got to lead her first IndyCar series race. Yeah. A little bit during exchanges, but, you know, she came on 15th and there were a she, lot of cars sliding nice around. She did a nice job. And uh, even just to be in position to uh, to lead the, the race or a race is is a good thing. But, uh, yeah, just uh, it was really fun. It was good to see Jack Harvey run well. Uh, this has been a track where he has has done well. Um, we could spend a whole afternoon on on uh, or evening on Scott Dixon again. I have no idea how he finished tenth. Uh, he he just he just does what Scott Dixon does, and and that is makes makes uh, something out of nothing. And uh, you'd be remiss if you didn't really single out the couple of the rookies that that looked really good in this race, and and that's Callum Eilat and Christian Lundgaard. I I had felt Lundgaard was going to have a big a big weekend. I I had talked to him before the event. Uh, talked to him even during the event, and um, and and he had a nice qualifying effort, uh, and and finished uh, not only qualifying and then in the race was was in the top ten. So good for him. Good weekend for for the Ray Hall camp in terms of uh, strength of of performance. And the other guy who just keeps doing what he's been doing all season is Will Power. And he, he comes in in third. And, you know, it's funny. I, I thought we've talked a lot about his uh, lack of aggression or, or I guess, a, a patience about him and doing what the race gives him. He clearly said, look, if if uh, the conditions had been a little better, um, maybe I would have raced a little harder, but I didn't want to throw it away just trying to, to do something heroic. I would I would just take what the race gave, gave me, and it gave me a third-place finish. And that's – he continues his top four – run now five straight races and he leads the championship and he's coming to a race where he ought to be pretty good both from qualifying for those extra 12 points and the race he raced pretty hard early when Newgarden got by him and then he went back with the little authority uh, on joseph newgarden how about this joseph newgarden has won two races this season and he's 
third on his three-car team in the championship. I know, right? <laughs> but but that's still good enough for fourth. Yeah. And yeah, the guy who a... hasn't won a race on the team is leading the championship with willpower and his consistency all season long. Um, Tatiana, by the way, Russ Thompson, our stat guru, what, what is Townsend's title for him? The vice president of data analytics uh, noted that Tatiana is the first female to e- lead an IndyCar race since Simona Di Silvestro at Baltimore in 2011. So, and here's just an aside on that. You know, it's it's rough sledding for her. No off-season testing. It hasn't had fantastic results in Junior Formula Series, especially as she's moved up the ladder a little bit. But I think she's getting better. She's getting closer. And I was talking to someone that I've known forever on her team um, who said, without me asking, that that she is really starting to figure some things out and they have been impressed with what she's doing and the progress she's making. So that's good. Pagano gets a much needed result from 20th to second. Um, we mentioned Marcus Erickson going 18th to fourth. How about Connor Daly's day? So first, you know, Connor, what's the old meme that he has with, you know, everything goes bad in Connor's world. Uh, so it seemed like more of that as well. Connor's got a fast car. When you've got a fast car, you just want a straightforward race. You want a dry race. You want nothing out of the ordinary. And that would seem to, to go with Connor's luck that now we get a wet race and the strangest race we've ever seen. And he slips to the back. That that part in the middle of the race was odd. We heard those radio communications about is anyone else saving? So I went down and asked Ed Carpenter, are you asking him to save? And he said, no. So I, I don't know if he couldn't hear them or he's just assuming we need to save, but there was a little bit of miscommunication there at that point. And then after the race, I saw his comment that, you know, it just seemed like something was off on that stint because it was really rough, but he's back there in 16th, 17th or whatever, lost about 10 spots in a lap, but then he climbs his way back and gets a fifth place result. That's, that's fantastic for him. And you touched on Rosenquist, too, who desperately needed a result. Um, Lungard might be one of those that had it been a dry race, he might even been a little bit better. I agree with you. I think he was going to be good here. Yeah, and we skipped over Sato. Uh, we talk about drivers who are good in the wet. And I guess because of his, his Formula One days, we always assume that Sato is the best in class in the wet conditions, or at least he's one of the first names that comes to mind. Yeah. I'd have to put, uh, you know, I'd have to put somebody like Marcus Erickson in that, in that class as well. He, he really looked good late in the race, passing cars left and right, but Sato finishes seventh. Callum Eilat and Christian Lundgaard get eighth and ninth. They, uh, have contact at the, at the finish line. Uh, I guess it, you know, comes down to the fact that Lundgaard couldn't see. And although I would have thought he might have been, you know, I was, I, I guess I, I was surprised how the whole thing happened. They were all running close together, I'm sure. So uh, they come together at the end, but no harm, no foul, really, and finish eighth and ninth and Dixon 10th, as we mentioned. And, and then maybe somebody else that, that I thought handled themselves really well was David Malukas in that, in that uh, rookie car uh you know, he he comes home in 12th. And, you know, honestly, there were a lot of drivers that um, that could have, you know, at least sniffed at the top 10. But uh, 
you know, just kind of how the race fell at the end. We'll talk about the arrow screen and comments from the drivers about visibility coming up in a little bit. We'll get to some of your Twitter questions at Kevin Lee 23 and plenty more tonight. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Colton Herda, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Man, I can't believe it. You guys rock stars all day. Good strategy, good calls, good everything, good stops. Thanks very much. Fan, you nailed it. I think this is my most fun win ever. Let's bring it home, buddy. That's how you can start May, baby. Let's go. Thanks. So much for making it a little bit. Do it. That was the winning move right there, buddy. So the radio communication in, in the race is always really interesting to listen to uh, and monitoring everyone, just trying to figure out what's going on. So let's get to visibility now. We had a lot of comments from the drivers afterwards about eh, pretty dangerous, can't see, we need windshield wipers. Uh, one was, now this is a credit to the drivers that are focused on the task at hand, but Diff mentioned this during the broadcast that we're not hearing a lot of that. And that's because Marty and Dylan and I were not reporting that back. At least of the eight drivers that I was monitoring, I was not hearing a lot of screaming that we can't see. Now, maybe that's because it only really got really bad in the last whatever, because we what they go green was eight minutes left. Tim, they didn't run that long under green that in, in any of the, the situations. So everybody's just focused on it. But, you know, Simon Pagino, for example, said, I couldn't see anything. I was looking uh, at, what did he say? He was looking at uh, to the stands to be able to get an idea of where he was at. He couldn't even see the little flashing lights on the gearbox or the attenuator until he was right up on a car. Colton Herta said he was looking at video boards to see where people behind him were going. And then he would veer over to add the spray back in their view to make it more difficult. So there's a first thought is, oh, boy, there's problems with the Euro screen. You know, and I saw Sebastian Bourdais jumped in on Twitter basically with a see, I told you this is no good. So now I think it could probably be said Sebastian is one of those that's not been a fan of the Euro screen. He wanted a halo, but no arrow screen. Most of the other drivers have come on board with, no, this is this is good. And then I was happy to see a lot of drivers after the fact. Mike Marcus Erickson was one that said, we're still all for this and we'll figure it out. The other part, Kurt, is I know it was incredibly difficult to see, but I'm not sure it would have been any better at all. No arrow screen, no halo or anything else, because that's always the comment when there's a full-on wet race we can't see anything. We got a red flag, this thing. Yeah, I think that's the point I would make. I mean, I, I'm not the engineer, and, and I haven't sat behind the aero screen. I certainly haven't when it was raining. But we had really adverse conditions. I think the discussion would have been more should we have been racing, and it didn't matter whether there was – and I'm not arguing that they should have stopped it. I'm just saying that was more the discussion, whether it was safe, regardless of what kind of – protection you have uh i don't know how you you see period the spray has always been when the spray is prominent like that i'm not sure there's ever a a a best case scenario i know that they do it in sports car racing and the wipers help i'm sure a wiper here would help 
and I'm sure that the Jay Fry and the team will will look at and and have been looking at at options, but you know the 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 good far outweighs the very rare situation when we get rain to that extent, and we've seen we've seen the arrow screen help so many times, so many ways in from so many directions that it's not even a point of argument in my book. In reality, if it had been much worse than that, they would have had other reasons why they couldn't continue aquaplaning and so forth. So it's easy for me to say not being in the car, but I think they're close. I think they'll figure something else out. This is the first real chance they've had to test this. And maybe we dodged one, mostly, other than the Calamilot and Christian Lungard incident at the very end, which, by the way, uh, Robbie Loretta just sent me a picture. He was in the grandstands at the start-finish line, just tweeted me a picture that he took, and I just retweeted that. So you can see uh, Lungard hit Eilat, and it's not like Eilat backed off way early because he was four feet behind the car right in front of him. So Christian just got on the gas a little bit too much. And I did hear some drivers. Connor was one of those that said, Packy Wheeler basically was driving my car, telling me where to go. Spotters were hugely helpful in in that situation. But this was the first real test, and they got through it. And I think the next time will be a little bit better. So, And, and all the other things so many reasons that the aero screen has been maybe it's eventually going to trump the safer barrier, but it's certainly up there with the safer barrier. I think when we look back and see, wow, what a game changer this was. I think the safer barrier will always top it, but, but it's, it's close uh, for sure. Uh, The other thing I was going to say is I talked to, talked to someone uh, involved with, with clearing the racetrack after uh, the event member because we had Indy Lights still to finish. You know that as well as anybody. And, <laughs> I remember that. And there was there was a delay. What was it? Probably twenty minutes on when they thought they were going to start the lights race, and they still had water to clear. The point yeah. was the comment to me was made that uh, had that been restarting the Indy Car race, they wouldn't have been able to get it started because pit lane was just full of water. So Indy Lights didn't need pit lane to the extent for pit stops. Uh, so it was it was pretty significant. It was not just uh, in those last few minutes. The rain was abnormal and and you know certainly uh, troublesome for all drivers. And I think it would have been regardless of it would have been the same pretty much or similar. Uh, you know, arrow screen or no arrow screen. Uh, of, of several people, so I, I'm just trying, looking through my Twitter. Many people have uh, been getting really annoyed with my profile picture on the iTunes podcast. And I think it's been up for a little while and I really don't care. And maybe it's because the Kevin Lee they have pictured is more famous than me. So I thought maybe that's good for us and we can bring in some MMA, MMA fans. But I guess more people are noticing. So to those of you that have sent emails and a lot of Twitter posts that that we need to get that changed i have no idea how to do that because i don't have control of that but i did email the radio station today someone there todd meyer to put me in touch with the digital people and they tell me it's been changed so hopefully when you see the podcast up tonight it's a picture 
if not of us, at least of the graphic that we normally use for trackside, rather than Kevin Lee, the MMA fighter. I don't know how he's doing. I know he was injured recently. <laughs> Jackson went somewhere with his friends to watch whatever the big MMA fight was a couple of weeks ago, and he texted me at you know midnight or whatever that, oh, you're fighting again tonight. So I guess I'm okay and I'm back, but I didn't hear if I won. I didn't hear if I won. So we'll, we'll address that. So that's good. Sean Mintert asks, I went to the to Kumasato meet and greet at the garage last night. He sent this a few days ago and was curious if there was a list somewhere of similar events, if you know of any others taking place this month. Thanks for any help. So I think this would be a fantastic opportunity if anyone in IndyCar PR or IMS PR is listening as to get with the team and they can't do it. It has to come through the team PR reps, but it would be, I think great if there was a master list that is posted somewhere on IndyCar.com or tweeted every once in a while, this is the plan because there are a lot of appearances, especially those that have consumer brands as partners of where drivers are going to be. Maybe there's a philosophy that you don't super publicize that because you can only accommodate so many people. I don't know. I don't know, but that would be nice. So I'll, I'll mention it here. And anyone that has the authority to do something like that, I think fans would be interested as to when they might actually see drivers and have the ability to get autographs other than the Burger Brash, which is not an autograph show, but you can see drivers next Monday night. Yeah, the seeing the drivers, I think, is is really cool. And, and uh, you know, we do a lot. You know, people, you're really close at the Burger Bash. You're able to, you know, be close enough to, to have a sense for who these guys are and, and what they uh, stand for. So it's always a good opportunity. So let's mention that. I, I, I need to mention some things that are going on. By the way, I think uh, we probably need to shut off selling VIP tickets, at least for now, until I get a better headcount of uh, some of the, the people that have been offered VIP tickets from our partners and, and from the benefiting organization, the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. So uh, once I get a better count, maybe we can offer some again later in the week. But for now, I think those are unavailable, but, but it's a free event. So you didn't need a ticket to come anyway. It's free in the back lot. It's just the inside. We were going to offer some uh, extra refreshment for some VIPs. Some of the auction items are listed online right now. So in the uh, the Twitter post that I put for tonight's show, a little graphic of, of the uh, the event coming up next Monday night for the Prime 47 Indie Burger Bash, there is a code that you can scan, and that will take you to a website. So luckily, the Cancer Center understands technology much better than I have. So they have set up an online auction for the items that are 100% of the proceeds are going to the cancer center. There are no fees. There's no costs. This is stuff that's all been donated or it's, it's something that, you know, I'm doing or you doing that won't cost us anything. And that's also offers the ability for those that are out of town and aren't going to be here on Monday. If they want to bid, to donate to the Cancer Center and also to take advantage of maybe a pretty good deal, they can do so. Things like uh, Lucas Oil School of Racing, drive a formula car, get coached by Jackson on a sim before you go there, 
two-seater from the Indy Racing Experience. I know they've got some race cars actually for sale if you want to get into some not quite vintage racing, but somewhere in between. We've got the Pappy Van Winkle 12-year-old Lot B that you can't buy for under $1,600 online. We've got a Fast Times karting event we'll do. You could co-host the show like we've auctioned off before. Have dinner with us at Prime 47 or a guest. Play golf with us at the Brickyard Crossing. Um, we've got VIP tickets and meet and greet opportunities at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park for Carb Night. We'll do a little show there as well and some other things. So that is available on the website. There's more if you go to Jackson's blog site at jacksonleeracing.com. And then, Kurt, there are things that we're going to have that you don't need to go through online where a portion of the proceeds will go to the cancer center and that's going to be handled on sites. Yeah, a lot of those things are are things that uh, Hall of Fame collection uh, is bringing to the to the dance, and uh, these will be authentic driver wear helmets, some uniforms, some gloves, maybe some visors that drivers have used. Uh, Hall of Fame collection dot com is where you can see a lot of, of items at, to give you an idea of what kind of things are available. So we've got a lot of things. Um, you know, the biggest uh, goal with the Burger Bash has always been to bring the fans closer to the event, whether that's seeing drivers, uh, hearing more about the Indy 500. It, maybe it's acquiring either by purchase or by raffle. And, and so you can go home with something. And so... Uh, the fact that we're able to do this and benefit the IU Cancer Center, we've all been touched uh, negatively by by what uh, that awful disease brings to individuals. So we're, we're trying to do our part, and uh, it's a great cause. It's just a great cause. Monday night at the USAC building. So that's 16th and Main, sort of the back parking lot is adjacent to Crawfordsville Road, so you'd be able to see it driving east on Crawfordsville towards the Speedway and then just turn right there at the roundabout on Main Street and look for parking. You know, there's no guaranteed parking, but I would think on a Monday evening it shouldn't be that difficult. There's practice that day. IndyCar will practice from noon until 2, so you could enjoy one of the other establishments that are nearby. There are several great places on Main Street, then come and join us. And we're uh, Prime 47 is going to be selling little mini steak burgers, their sliders. Uh, we're going to have uh, refreshments as well in, in a variety of uh, fashions. So we look forward to that. I'm trying to think of all the other partners. Blue Marble is providing some cocktails for us for our VIPs inside. And then we're going to have some uh, other opportunities outside as well from the Indy Brew Bus. They're going to be selling beer and wine to the crowd. Uh, Kona Ice is going to have flavored ice for kids for sale. So we wanted to have something like that. So that's what's going on. Basic needs, simple solutions will benefit from this as well. And if you're not a Twitter person, go to jacksonleeracing.com and you can find a little more information on the blog page for that. A couple of other things going back to this past race on Saturday afternoon, I wanted to mention. Um Townsend's granola bar piece in the open. Did you like that? I did. I had to. I had to watch it again to kind of get. What it's really was. good. Yeah, I heard you were. You had almost. Uh, I, I almost ruined both. it. Yeah, you almost ruined it. 
<laughs> so so he actually uh, he came in to our booth at Barber and he was thinking about this for a day or two. And he actually, I don't know if he went to Bucky's or the gas station, but he, he went on a hunt for the right kind of granola bar and was telling about this on Sunday morning at Barber because we were expecting rain. It actually had rain in the morning, but was dry by the time we got the IndyCar. So we actually traveled these granola bars with him for back to, to California and who else knows where else he went in between to Indianapolis. So um, my schedule's fairly challenging on a race weekend with Indy Lights and IndyCar and when Jackson's racing. So there wasn't a lunch schedule <laughs> in my itinerary. So I sat down five minutes before the Indy Lights race starts, and there are these two granola bars sitting at the desk in front of my chair. It's like, fantastic, because there are always snacks up in the booth, and I'm just assuming this is one of the snacks right behind us. So I, I eat one, and I'm getting ready to eat another, but then it's time to go on the air. So luckily I didn't, or that would have been, that'd have been bad. Cause I don't think we have other granola bars like that this weekend. So that was fantastic. I'm glad that worked out. The other thing I'll note is, you know how we joke sometimes that you can measure the entertainment factor of a race by how far we go in the, through the field. And do you remember that mid Ohio race seven or eight years ago when there were 22 cars and we went to 22 yeah. That, yeah. That that told you that race wasn't very good. Did you see how far we got in this this through the field? Did you notice it? Was, it? It was deep in the race and it didn't take very long to do it. I mean, you got you you got came off of it pretty quickly. It was one car. Yeah. <laughs> I I came out of break and luckily we that was a smart decision by our producer Renee. Kevin's bringing us out of break, mention the sponsor and go through the field and I've barely said Colton Herta is leading and Pato Award spinning back to the booth. But we satisfied the sponsor requirement, and that's your through the field. <laughs> Coming up go. next, we'll get to the news of the day and what we missed and plenty more on Trackside. Hi, this is Connor Daly, driver of the number 20 Bitnile Chevrolet for Ed Carpenter Racing, and you're listening to Trackside. Yes, you are listening to Trackside, and now it's time for the Speedrome Trackside News of the Day. Saturday night's Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech, feature the family. It features family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun. Always capped by the world-famous wild and unpredictable figure eight. Tickets start at only $10. Kids eight and under are free. And June 4th, the return, and this is my favorite, the Crazy School Bus Figure 8, Insane Trailer Figure 8, and Demo Derbies, all at speedrome.com. And our news of the today, let's go with the schedule for tomorrow. 9 o'clock, install laps for all cars, 15 minutes allotted there, followed by Oval Track Everybody from 9.15 to 11.15, all but Stefan Wilson. He's the only car, only driver, I should say, that still needs to finish his veteran refresher. He will do that from 1 until 3, and then all skate tomorrow from 3 until 6, all cars, and that will include Stefan Wilson. And we can point out that this will challenge the Peacock broadcast, which is only going to have one car on track from 1 to 3. But good luck with that. Uh, tomorrow because yeah, that, it's going to be that fun. But came a beautiful up today, day. And I, I sent in an email about that earlier today. We'll get to in a second. 
All right, next Wednesday and Thursday, May 25th and 6th at Circle Center, Circle City Raceway, and it marks the return of the biggest names in USAC Amsoil National Sprint Cars running a two-night extravaganza presented by Maston and Kane Warehousing Services, Brady Bacon, C.J. Leary, Justin Grant, and Tanner Thornson are just some of the names slated to race, and JMV will be live on site on Wednesday. That's Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds, circlecityraceway.com. I'm told we have a plan, so I asked, what are we doing? And we've got some features. Parker Kligerman is coming, so I thought it was just me and Hinch and Dylan tomorrow. So Parker is coming, so we have some reinforcements but, you know, we obviously we want to cover what Stefan is doing. So we're going to see him on track. Uh, if he sits in the pits for a little while, which I would think he would do in a test, maybe we lay out, maybe we roll some features. You know, maybe Hinch and I put a pack on and walk around a little bit. But, hey, Radio Kevin is ready to fill the time tomorrow. <laughs> so we'll get after it uh, starting tomorrow morning. And there is a, a couple of hours, an hour and 45-minute break. So, Lunch is available to us tomorrow, so I'm I'm excited about that. This is one of the coolest days of the year, the opening of Indianapolis 500 practice. You know I don't like getting up early. That's why I've almost all of my life, other than when I didn't even feel, you know, I had to be at work at 5 a.m., that doesn't matter. That's not getting up early. That's just insane. But otherwise, I've always worked nights. But I am excited about getting up early tomorrow and being at the track by 7.30 or so, so that that will be really really good couple of other quick nuggets uh worth mentioning i think what do you got well there's uh all kinds of things certainly tickets are going very well for the indianapolis 500 uh, of course i'm always reluctant to talk about ticket sales but adam stern did so for me so i can just report what adam stern said that ims is expecting to host slightly over 300,000 people for next sunday's indy 500 which should set a new post-pandemic single-day crowd record. He reports that IMS is about 20,000 tickets ahead of where sales were in 2019, but about 20 tickets, 20,000 tickets behind the rate in 2016, the 100th running. Uh, so bottom line is expect a large crowd almost to the point of what we saw in the 2016 100th Indy 500. Um, I wanted to mention this, too. I'm still getting tweets about what's going on with Peacock, and I'm the only one tagged. Here's, you know, I'd love to help you, but I'm not in Stanford, Connecticut, and I don't know anyone there. Even my boss isn't directly involved. There is a Peacock handle. Tag them. Tag IndyCar. Tag someone that might be able to help you on that if you can't find it. I guess it was there, but it wasn't simple to find or it was on a different channel. I'm not going to see it while I'm on the air. So I, I wish I could help you, but I'm not the best person for that. Some other good tweets they'll have to save for tomorrow. We'll be here at 7 o'clock recapping opening day of Indy 500 practice. Jake and Mike, Beyond the Bricks, coming up next. For Kurt and Sam, I'm Kevin. This is 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.